Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 16 of Our Baseball Weekly, the weekly podcast from the baseball subreddit. My name is Lewis, and we've got another great episode today. As a little later, I get to interview Mike Wilner of the Toronto Star on him moving from radio play-by-play to print, running a call-in show after Blue Jays games, and what it was like broadcasting during the pandemic. Meanwhile, Andy hosts Jordan, Jeremy, and Martin in some opening day trivia, which we'll finish off the episode with. Before we get to all of that, though, I am privileged to be joined by the aforementioned Martin today to talk about actual baseball games. 16 episodes in, and we finally have some regular season games. Martin, how are you doing today? I am doing well. I am still waiting for my team to actually play a game, unfortunately, but I've been (laughs) enjoying watching games around the league with no stress or investment. Well, and you got some pretty good news right on opening day eve. You guys extended Francisco Lindor, right? Yes, at the 11th hour, about 20 minutes after Jeff Passan tweeted something to the effect of extension talks appear dead because Lindor (laughs) had set a pretty firm deadline for opening day or I'm going to free agency. At about 20 minutes to midnight, the news broke. 10 years, $341 million. I believe that's af- that's starting after this season. Yeah, because this season he's already on. He was already on uh, arbitration for 20-something, mm-hmm. but I'm thrilled. Yeah, I mean, anytime you can lock up someone who's as consistent as Lindor in, you know, shortstop is a tough position. Right, and even if he's only playing shortstop for another, I don't know, five or six years-ish, hopefully. Oh yeah, to be determined. Maybe they just maybe they Derek Jeter him and have him playing way past the point where he should be. But <laughs> if that's the case, he's probably hitting hitting pretty similarly to Jeter too. So it's probably a good thing. I mean, I know some Indians fans, still Indians fans, last season of that were were saying that it almost hurts more because he signed an extension. I can't personally speak to that. However, I just feel like it's good for the game to have Francisco Lindor in New York on a team that's willing to spend, that's willing to put a put a winner around him. And I can unbiasedly say that I'm excited to watch and see what he does for your Mets for the next few seasons. It'll be exciting when you get to watch him play. I can't wait. But I have to. Yes. While we're on the subject, the Nationals, because games were postponed between the Mets and Nationals because of a couple of positive tests on the Nationals, the Mets National Series this opening weekend was postponed. The Nationals, this broke just before we started recording, their game tomorrow with Atlanta is at least postponed for now, and they're hoping to play Tuesday, but hopefully they can get that under control and hopefully everyone's comes out okay tomorrow being monday the 5th because we're recording a day early before this releases here yeah it that it's rough i know we were talking on just kind of a group chat earlier that you know man if it's taking this long hopefully it's an abundance of caution hopefully it's something like well we just had the first test on thursday that went back positive 
and they just want to make sure they've got enough days because we do have a full season ahead of us. One more, you know, one more game being delayed is worth it if it means that we actually get to start playing Tuesday. But hopefully we don't run into this too often and it's just, you know, just a slight hiccup to start the season because it's going to be rough if we end up, you know, halfway through the season and three or four teams have been backed up, especially if they're in the same division and you're just kind of stuck stacking games on top of games and having way too many of those unnecessarily short seven inning doubleheaders. Right. And I hope this wasn't caused by anyone breaking the protocols. I haven't heard anything that would suggest that's the reason, but I don't want to get mad at anybody. Hopefully it's just bad luck and everyone's doing the right thing to do their best to prevent this from happening any more than they can. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a global pandemic. It's not like... Yeah, things happen. It, yeah, th- things happen. You have... You just get unlucky with, oh, hey, someone who left your groceries at the door lingered just a little too long. And now, you, you know, and you don't want to be blaming anyone too much, especially if they are following protocols. I know that was something... During the World Series, Justin Turner was like, I was following all the protocols. I don't know how I got it and that whole thing. So it's a contagious disease. It takes very little, especially with some of the variants out to spread. So hopefully the Nationals can get past this, play their series against Atlanta this week, get enough games on the board that they can be in the power rankings. I know that was something <laughs> K-Jack was saying. He was worried he'd have to pull them out of the power rankings the first week because they wouldn't have four games played. We'll see how that goes. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to watch DeGrom pitch on Monday. So that'll be exciting against the Phillies. That'll be great. And we'll we'll hopefully get some good baseball. And you can watch your own team play instead of just watching, you know, all the other teams play. I don't know if there's something in the water this weekend, but there have just been some really weird highlights this already. Yes. Like, yes. we got Luis Robert just cansecoing a, in a, like a shallow pop-up, just whiffing on the catch and it bonking off his head. Always hilarious. He's okay, which is why yes. it's hilarious. We got that ridiculous <laughs> play where Cody Bellinger hit a ball over the fence, but then Justin out of a out of a glove. Yeah, that was another Canseco out of uh, Rymel Tapia's glove. I'm mentioning yep. him because for a reason. But Turner didn't think it went out or thought it was caught, and Bellinger he turned around and like ran back to first before Bellinger could react. Bellinger overran him. They reviewed this for like five minutes. Eventually, it's ruled a single. Bellinger out on the bases. Turner scores. Oh, so weirdest RBI the Rockies single. pitcher allowed a home run with a guy on base and only allowed a run. So amazing! That'll help your that'll help your uh, ERA. And then just last night, the same Rockies fielder turned an outside the park home run into an inside the park home run. He reached up like over the fence, pulled it back but couldn't keep it in his glove. It skipped away, and the guy circled the bases before anybody noticed that he that it was on the field. So there's just been some profoundly weird stuff going on. 
Well, two of those were at Coors, and as any NL West fan will tell you, weird stuff happens at Coors. Coors is just, just... It plays by different rules. It is its own animal, and uh, that's kind of amusing, really. Really. I, I kind of love watching games at Coors. It it always makes me excited to know that anything could happen, and suddenly a team that's down 9-2 to two can suddenly be winning 10-9 to nine in the blink of an eye, and, and that's always a lot of fun to see. The Rockies were able to pull out that first game before dropping the next few to the uh, the Dodgers there. So we've got a, another, you know, that NL West race between the Dodgers and Padres will be exciting here. They're both off to pretty good starts. A uh, race out West that is not off to a good start for one of the teams and off to a fantastic start for another team. The Astros... Swept the A's in a four-game set here this week. And none of the games were even close, so... None of them. And, you know, it's early in the season, obviously. It's four games. There's so many more games to be played. But it's never a good chunk of the season to get swept in four games by a division rival. Because those are games that are really tough to make up. I really appreciate that every game the A's were, like, introducing the Astros playing, like, songs with titles that sounded like like sign yeah like the sign, song like before he the cheats, signs like... or i did not i did not remember the song names but just trying to troll them and then getting shellacked so good yeah. job yeah and it's it's rough because those i mean you get 19 games against each division opponent and now four of them are gone and the a's can't make i mean it's really hard to make those games up um they're gonna have to basically come back and sweep the astros or do really well the rest of the year against them yeah and then you have something similar going in your nl east division while the nats and mets were not playing the phillies took a three-game sweep of the braves setting themselves up nicely i mean the braves were favored by a lot of people and depending on your projection system again it, you know, they could have been up there, but the Phillies were that fringe team, and that is a great way to start. Three-game sweep over one of the division favorites. Good, good way for the Bryce Harper-led Phillies to start out the season. And the other big sweep of the weekend was another sweep where I, there were a couple close games, although it didn't feel close when you were watching them, and then one just laugher, the Orioles took the Red Sox out in a three-game sweep. Yes, and the first game is the one that I watched like from beginning to end, and John Means looked really, really good, and Nate Evaldi pitched pretty well, but by the end of it, the Red Sox just looked lifeless, and then... Losing to Matt Harvey the next day, I'm not entirely sure how that happens. Maybe he's back? Oh, Could God. it be? Could it be? I hope Maybe. so. That'd but be, it'd be kind of exciting. As a result, Fangraphs has upgraded the Orioles' chances of making the playoffs from 0% to 0.1%. So Good there is officially them. a chance. You can put them on the board. 0.1%. That's 
a lot more than they had before. On that topic, I've had a blast watching the White Sox Angels series just because it's been fiercely competitive and Mike Trout has been omnipresent, but it's they've just been really good games. They have been, and that's a series where both teams are kind of feeling out where they're going to be this year. Yes. Because, I mean, yeah, White Sox, a lot of people say they were one of the teams that won the offseason. They came in, you know, depending on your projection, they're either projected for first in the Central or second in the Central, just, you know, depending who you're looking at. And definitely in the wild card hunt. And the Angels, I mean... Eventually, they got to get an offseason right. But the other White Sox funny thing was Eloy Jimenez is out for most of the season with a torn muscle. Yeah, from trying to rob a home run in spring training for some reason. So their left field depth (laughs) is challenged now. But the thing that's had everyone just laughing at them is they carried they had his jersey with them on opening night and White Sox Twitter posts the effect with always in our hearts or something that made it seem like he died. Did he die? When like... It's like, he's perfectly fine. He's just got a torn muscle and he had to have surgery. So they're going to be hearing about that one for a while. Yeah. It, it's, <laughs> I love it. It's, it's just amusing. It's fantastic. And, uh, well, we're recording before Sunday night baseball. So, I don't know how his outing actually goes. Um, You guys will know when you're listening to this later. But I think it's amazing that Shohei Otani, he's pitching and he's hitting in the same game. And he's batting second. This is a heat check. I think Joe Madden is trying to see what he can get away with. Like, if you can pitch and bat Otani in the same game and they win, he's just going to... He's going to feel so good about himself, and the Angels are going to feel like they're going to go on a tear if this works, I think. Yeah, it's definitely one of those momentum sort of games where, like, hey, this is this is the chance, you know? This is, we we push this, we ride this momentum, you know, off, off into the future here. And I guess they, for, I hadn't thought about this, they're going to be forfeiting the DH tonight because... You can't DH for your left fielder or whoever. So they actually want him to get... This is like the exact opposite of every other NL game. They want their pitcher to bat three times. Yes. You you want the pitcher up three times. And, you know, they, they're giving a couple guys uh, a day off. You know, not that they're going to be... I mean, they're kind of in the lineup most days. But you've got Dexter Fowler and Albert Pujols. They're not starting. They'll be available off the bench. So you've got these guys that they're going to be available off the bench. And then it's just an NL game. And, I mean, he's batting second. And so batting second means that he's going to be up right away. He's going to bat in the bottom of the first inning. Probably the bottom of the third inning. If things are going, you know, you average one hitter walk uh, an inning. You know, he get a couple hits. He's going to be up in the third. If not the third, he's going to be up in the fourth. And then, you you know, you expect he'd be up in the, the sixth inning. If things are going well, comes up in the fifth inning. And there you go. Then you pull him. And then he's only got one or two plate appearances. So you get Dexter Fowler in for one of those. You get Albert Pujols in for one of those. You're not going to be stretching it that much. 
Yeah, this, this is, is a pitcher spot. Legit this is like, offensive downgrade yeah. once you have to take him out of the game. It, it is still an offensive downgrade. But I mean, compare that to if he's batting ninth, comes up in the... He bats if once. If you're lucky, comes up in the second or third. Then the fifth or sixth, he gets two at-bats. And then, oh shoot, you got to cover for him after that. Um, so it, it'll be really interesting to see. And um, I don't know why we're... I don't want to spend too much time on it because whoever's listening to this, they're going to know how it turns out before we do uh, talking about it here. So there is one other thing I want to mention because I'm still thinking about it 24 hours later. Last night's White Sox starter, Lance Lynn, entered last night with a 37 start streak going back to like early 2019 of throwing 100 pitches or more in every start. Tony Larusa took him out in the fifth inning last night at 99 pitches. Oh, well, Tony, streak, you gotta know those things. The streak is over. Ah, somewhere, wow. somewhere, Jack Morris is crying. <laughs> I think a lot of old time pitchers are crying. Well, that is a roundup of this first weekend of games and some of the news. From there, so Martin, we will see you at the end of the episode, uh, joining Jordan and Jeremy on trivia, opening day trivia with Andy, so everyone should stick around for that. I will be back in just a few seconds here, interviewing Mike Wilner of the Toronto Star. And one more thing, if this is your first episode that you're listening to, because, well, the season started and now you're actually paying attention to the baseball subreddit again, and you're interested in this, we do have a back catalog of episodes here, 15 of them, and last episode, episode 15, we talked about quite a few of the interviews that we got to do in those first few episodes, so if you're looking for some back catalog listening, go ahead, listen to last week's episode, episode 15, especially the interview segment, and there we kind of run down some of the earlier episodes that are worth going back and giving a listen to, but... I will be back in just a few seconds. Martin, thanks for joining me, and everyone else, please stick around. Well, welcome back, everyone. I am so excited today to be joined by Mike Wilner of the Toronto Star, covering the Blue Jays. Mike, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well... So going way back in your career, you got your broadcasting and your your career started while attending the University of Toronto. Uh, What kind of got you interested in sports broadcasting? I know you did multiple sports. What got you interested in broadcasting and what kind of made you pick out baseball above everything else you were doing? Well, baseball's always been my favorite. It's always been a love and, you know, it's 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 kind of built for radio, which is an extra added bonus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, honestly, I don't know what got what got me into it. I don't know why that was the choice that I made when I was a freshman in university, thinking that I was going to, you know, pursue a commerce degree or go to law school <laughs> or something like that. Um, but it it uh, it was something I saw that I thought would be kind of fun to do, and as it turned out. Pretty, pretty fun to do for 30 years. <laughs> I'm sure. So, you know, getting started, you got to do a lot of minor league baseball early in your career. 
we had Joe Block on uh, a couple months ago, and he had a couple of fun stories from those minor league days. Do you have any, just maybe one thing I could tease out of you, a fun story from your minor league play-by-play days, traveling with the teams on the, the buses all around, you know, the backwater cities in the U.S.? You know what? I didn't do a lot of traveling with teams on buses. I, I sort of commuted a lot of the time to, to the games that I did from Toronto when I worked in the New York Penn League, which is sadly gone now, mm-hmm. um, either with the Welland Pirates in Ontario, the Watertown Indians in New York that I did those games. Um, and when I worked for the Hardware City Rock Cats, I didn't go on the road with them. Um, there are, I mean, there there are funny stories about having to abandon the first game of a doubleheader in Hamilton because of bad hot dogs. <laughs> bad <laughs> hot dogs? Yeah, I had to leave the uh, leave my partner on his own for a while. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, the the best thing that happened was in Welland in 1989. I was 19, and it was the first first baseball broadcasting job that I had, and they had a third baseman who is repeating the level. And when you repeat short season, a ball, that's, you know, not a good sign that you've got. No, a few that's, that's, that's probably the low on the list of things players want to be known for. Yeah. Right. So he's repeating short season, a ball. And um, with about three weeks left in the season, he's hitting 180. So another thing you like, don't want on your resume. That's yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and uh one day in in um in the middle of August, he comes out to the pitcher's mound, and my partner uh, Pete Marina and I sort of look at each other like, "What the hell is this?" And then he starts like flipping little butterflies up and getting people out, and we were astonished. And it was Tim Wakefield. <laughs> I did I did not know that about him. Yeah, I got to saw the I got to see the first and call the first professional pitch he ever threw. What is that feeling like? Because you didn't know he was going to be out there throwing throwing knuckles. No, and we didn't even know they were knuckleballs the first couple of. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That bad. Huh? A lot of times when you see a position player come into the game, he's flipping up you know fifty eight mile an hour curveballs and stuff. <laughs> so um, you know it, we we had it, it took us a while to clue in, but. Yeah, it was nuts. He'd been messing around with it during batting practice and with his catch partners. And uh, who knew? Like, I don't know, a year and a half, two, two and a half years later, he was this close to being the NLCS MVP. Oh, oh yeah. So that that is amazing. Thank you for that. Um, so kind of moving forward, the uh, pandemic has really kind of played havoc with everything in the Jays. Didn't even get to play in Canada last year. How hard was it to be calling games last year with the Jays not even in the same country? It was it was definitely strange, weird, like you know, like nothing I'd ever done. The closest I had come to it was like a few times when I was in the studio and the Jays were on the road when I was like doing the post game show. And the feed dropped. I had to call like five or six pitches off of TV, but you know that's that's it. Um, it was it was really really strange, highly suboptimal. I think that we made it work. I think 
Um, you know, Ben Wagner and I got a lot of feedback over the course of the 62 games, including playoffs, that, you know, you, you didn't notice. And um, we made, I think we made it sound as good as we possibly could. We weren't trying to fool anybody. We were very, you know, upfront that, hey, we're not there and, and, um, and that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it was weird. You're sitting in a studio, you have uh, one huge screen that has just the game feed on it, the same thing that everybody else is seeing on television. Then you have another screen that's cut in four. Uh, it's got a look at each team's bullpen plus the scoreboard plus, you know, high view of the field where you really can't mm-hmm. see anything, but you can see if someone's getting an early jump or steal a base or something like that. It was bizarre and it was weird and I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but, you know, we did what we had to do and we got through it. So you didn't get to go to Buffalo at all last year to even make oh, it? To, no, not at all. Okay, borders closed. Yeah, <laughs> no, you can't. Uh, it's 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 weird because you can. I think you can see the lights of Salem Field in Buffalo from Canada, mm-hmm. so close that you can touch it. Not that we, not that I ever made the trip to Fort Erie to to look, but it is weird to be just like an 80 minute drive away and not be able to go, but no, you, 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 uh, there's no back and forth thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the point of closing the border, right. To, to eliminate that. So with that in mind, how do you stay in contact to, to keep reporting this, this year to what, what's kind of your plan forward? Cause I know borders not opening up anytime soon. And I mean, I wouldn't, expect anyone to be traveling too much before the vaccinations really reach their peak here kind of what's the game plan for for continuing coverage for the the toronto star this year my couch is right over there <laughs> that's that's where i'm i'm gonna be covering the the team from that's what i've you know done so far a month into spring training we you know the blue jays make people available to the media on zoom uh every day and i've got you know uh over the years um, of doing this, I've developed a, a Rolodex to the extent that, you know, if I need to reach out to somebody, I can on my own and, and have a conversation with them. And so, I mean, that's, that's how it's going to be done. But the thing is, it's no, it's, it's very strange to say, but the access to the personnel, the players, the coaching staff, the front office is there is zero difference from my couch to the ballpark. Because even if we were there live, I wouldn't be able to go into the clubhouse. It's closed to, to, to the media. I'm not going to be able to be on the field during batting practice. Um, there's no media allowed anywhere near anything. Um, so, so the access is no different, which is, you know, bizarre. Unless you're going to run into somebody in the hotel lobby after the game or, or something like that. But there's no, there's no advantage to being there other than of course you get to watch the game and not have to rely on uh, whatever angle the television is using, but that's it. There's no, there's no advantage as far as access is concerned. So we're really not, it's no different from being home. Now, once I get vaccinated, which hopefully happens sooner than later, hopefully, (laughs) uh, yeah, then I'll be comfortable going to a game on the road, you know, going to Buffalo if they're here, depending on the border situation, because also, you know, I don't want to go to Buffalo to go see a game 
if when I come home from that game, even if I'm fully vaccinated, I have to quarantine for 14 days, which is, you know, the deal now. Mm. So, uh, you know, I don't want to have to go through that uh, just to be able to see a game live. But I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that, um, you know, maybe by the end of May, I'll be able to make that drive to Cleveland uh, and see those games that, you know, I'll have had my shots by then. Maybe go to New York. The Blue Jays are on a road trip at the end of May to New York and Cleveland. And, and uh, I'd much rather drive than fly at this point. Uh, go through the hassle of going through the airport and all of that stuff. Uh, maybe it's June and I'll go to Chicago. And maybe it's not at all. Um, but, but I'm hopeful that, that uh, I'll be able to get to the ballpark at some point in the next three months. No, I think I think we're all hoping that we can we can reach that point, hopefully sooner rather than later. So this year you are you're transitioning. This is your first year as a columnist. How has that kind of transition been and kind of learning the ropes of working on a newspaper staff and working, you know, sometimes with tight columns then? Yeah, that's the weird. That's the, the toughest thing is writing to space. Um, you know, 25 inches or 850 to a thousand words. I, um, for years and years, I wrote a post-game blog, part of the radio coverage. I guess they decided they wanted a blog. So I was tasked with that. <laughs> um, so I did that for like a dozen years, but I could go as long or short as I wanted to. I could file whenever I wanted to. I could talk about whatever I wanted to. I mean, I, now I can still talk about whatever I want to pretty much, but you know, it has to be in by a certain time and it has to be a certain length. That's, it hasn't been tough, but that's been the big change. Um, what I found so odd right at the beginning is, you know, I've done this a lot. Mm -hmm. I've been around for a very long time, but the first time I had to sit down and like the first column that I wrote was, Hey, this is me. And this is why I'm doing this and the star and all that stuff. So that's, that was easy. But the, the first column I wrote about the team and about baseball and about, you know, this is my opinion and my analysis and stuff, I, I, it, it, uh, I had a little bit of a crisis of confidence. You know, I, I, I thought, is this going to be good? Like, this is a Toronto Star. It's the biggest newspaper in the country. Um, and it, it's got such a huge legacy of phenomenal sports writing over the last hundred years um i really wasn't sure if i was you know gonna be able to, to do it but everyone's been wonderful and everyone's been supportive and all the editors have said they've liked my stuff and, and i've gotten a lot of really really good feedback from a lot of people which has made me feel good and uh so so yeah it's it's very different um, and I'm going to be podcasting too. We have already got a couple of sneak preview episodes of my podcast out. So that's All right. much more familiar. And, you know, and they, and they gave me this fancy microphone that I'm talking to you on right now. It looks very fancy, very podcasty. Yes. <laughs> There's lights and everything. Um, it's very fancy. Uh, so that's, that's much more in my comfort zone. But the writing has been has been a lot of fun, and uh, and I'm I'm enjoying it a lot. And and it's, you know, when you get fired from a major league broadcasting job, especially as a Canadian who has no profile in the United States almost at all, and you're 50, 
and never mind it's the middle of a global pandemic. But just those first two things, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's very easy to imagine that you're never going to be able to get back into it. And I know so many people who have covered this team for a long time, who've lost their jobs, who never managed to get back in. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled that the star was there, that it's such a great fit, that they're really pushing their sports coverage now. And, and you know, as opposed to what feels like every other media entity in North America, they're actually hiring people rather than making cuts or, or laying people off or just even staying steady. Um, and it's, it, I, I couldn't have asked for a better landing spot. Well, good, good. So uh, you mentioned the, your uh, post game blog and that was always after now you did a call in show, right? For, for many years. A lot of times it was before the guy was weird. What, what would happen was a lot of times I would call the fifth and sixth innings write the blog from the 7th, 8th, and ninth, and then do the call-in show because I didn't want to be sitting there until 1 o'clock in the morning. Of course, that'd be terrible. <laughs> so among the, the, the back-end team here on our Baseball Weekly, uh, we, we have a lot of running jokes uh, just among ourselves about call-in show callers. Uh, do you have any favorite calls that you've received that you actually let onto the air? Or if, you know, there's any that you weren't able to put on that you remember that just kind of stick out to you? Well, there's none that I, I couldn't put on because we were live. Uh-huh. Right. And then someone else was doing the call screening. Uh, there have been some, some great ones over the, the course of the year. I mean, the best ever is not what you're thinking. Uh, okay. in, you know, the classic awful take call-in show. The best call that ever happened was when the manager called. The, the post-game show in uh, 2018, 18, I think. Um, John Gibbons called the post-game show because before the game, I had mentioned to him that I was a little surprised that Luke Maley was starting behind the plate and not Russell Martin. Um, I think it had been two days in a row or something. And, you know, it's a natural, normal question. The backup yeah. catcher, you know, is playing a little more than you expect. Um, and then the Jays won the game, and I believe Maley had a hand in it. So John Gibbons called the the post game show after the game to just sort of say, "Hey, you know, it wasn't such such a terrible <laughs> idea to start this guy." <laughs> so I'm not sure that's ever happened on any other uh, post game show ever. And it was, uh, you know, he pretended he called and said he was John from the Bronx. Um, <laughs> took me about seven seconds to figure out who he was because he's got a very, very identifiable, yeah, voice. very distinctive voice. Yeah, but that was—I mean—that's by far the most awesome thing that's ever happened on, on Blue Jays talk. It, you know, with Steve Cohen and the Mets, I could almost see him calling in to a to a call-in show post game. That'd be interesting. So, yeah, a manager calling in, and I, I mean, it was—it's if I recall, it wasn't like. It wasn't like you were butting heads or anything. He was poking fun at me. Yeah. Because he, he, is, he is that guy and he is, you know, a particularly wonderful human. Um, and to do that was just, I mean, it was astonishing. But I mean, I had a call like in, in I'm looking it up to see what year it was. But in 2007, um, the Blue Jays were playing Baltimore in a game in September. And Tyke Redman was a call up for the Orioles. Uh, and he, you know, he happened to be hitting like 400, um, in September because he'd had 
33 at bats or whatever. Yeah. And Just somebody call called and said, you know, the Blue Jays should trade Vernon Wells for Tyke Redmond. <laughs> and, you know, this is 28 year old Vernon Wells coming off the, the, the year before he had his 900 OPS. So that one stands <laughs> out for sure. Um, yeah, I had a guy call in uh, who I think was putting me on, but he said that the Jays should sign that. that uh, he, had, he, he mentioned three guys. And he got them all wrong. Like he said, Mark Burley was a righty for the Cubs. <laughs> you know, he butchered two other guys. Um, and he called himself a baseball god because he was a genius. So this was even before the Jays got Burley. So this must have been 10, 11, 12, somewhere around there. Yeah. And I'm also really proud. Well, before, before that, I should mention we had for a couple of years when J.P. Ricciardi was the Blue Jays general manager, we had him on once a week, every week, Wednesdays with JP, and he took phone calls. And a couple of amazing things came out of that with the, the BJ Ryan, when, when uh, you know, the week before he had said of BJ Ryan, um, or sorry, in spring training, they said BJ Ryan had a back injury one year. It turned out it was his elbow. And he, in April, they revealed that he needed Tommy John. And someone called the show to say to JP, hey, you know, what's the deal with the back injury? Now he needs elbow surgery. Uh, why did you lie to us? And Ricciardi's answer was, it's not a lie if we know the truth. And that's a very famous. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And he also went on a rant about Adam Dunn when someone um, someone criticized him for not trading for Adam Dunn or something like that. And that's something JP wound up having to apologize to Dunn for. And it, that was at a high emotional moment because he was just about to fire John Gibbons the next day. And, and we didn't know any of that stuff. But couple of big things came out of that and also i'm really proud of the fact that for years and i don't know how many might have been eight ten years during our playoff coverage when the blue jays weren't in the playoffs which happened a lot while i was doing that show <laughs> unfortunately uh, for every playoff game we got a different blue jay on the air for an hour taking calls from fans for a whole month every year and there was wonderful stuff that came out of that oh that that is so cool that's awesome i wish i wish more players were, were able to do that and, and do that sort of thing now you mentioned like emotions were very heightened uh at times and i'm sure callers come in how do you manage that as you know as the host you're you're live on the radio how do you maintain your own composure first of all and uh gently guide some of those conversations along yeah, sometimes you can't be all that gentle. <laughs> um, but look, I mean, it basically comes down to just understanding where they're coming from. And, you know, I'm watching every pitch of every game and, 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 and I know exactly what's going on with the team because it's my job, right? These other people, for the most part, have other real jobs where they can't expend that much energy. So they watch their team when they can. They see bits and pieces and they get either really excited or really angry. Um, and, and you know that they're coming from that place. And you also know that it's immediately after the game. I used to refer to myself or somebody referred to me and I thought it was, it was kind of cool, but, you know, obviously not, I'm not going to say inappropriate, but it doesn't really, it's not really fair, but they, they referred to me as like the first responder. <laughs> not like I'm doing anything like a real first responder does, but uh, but that's sort of what it is. Their emotions are high. There was either just a win or a loss. There's something that, you know, sometimes even after wins, they're really angry about. And 
Um, and a lot of the people who call into post game radio can't get anybody else to listen to them. So, <laughs> you know, they, they dial up to the one who has to. So, um, you know, I would, I would make sure that they were coming from a place of where, of reality, you know, not that they're calling and making something up or saying something that's factually incorrect. And we would go from there. And if that upset them, well, you know, it, Sometimes if they were rude to me, I'd be rude back. Um, but I never certainly never started anything. Um, occasionally I did finish things. Uh, but that's, you know, that's part of part of what makes that uh, a magic hour of radio after a game. I'm sure it helps when you can just cut the call off, right? That <laughs> that very often. But some, you know, if they kept repeating themselves over and over, or if, you know, they're trying to make the make the same point uh, again and again and again. You know, there, there, there's a philosophy in the world that wasn't as prevalent five, ten years ago, but has gotten more prevalent now. That the louder you are, the more right you are. And uh, so I, you know, I wasn't going to put up with any of that. But, uh, but yeah, I, I didn't hang up very often. But it's definitely something you can use to just keep things, keep things moving in the right direction. Okay. So speaking of kind of moving in the right direction, the season is starting here. And here at the tail end of spring training, the Jays have received some less than ideal injury related news from a, a few of their players as the, the columnist covering the Jays. How do you feel the Jays are able to handle this? And do you think they've got the depth to to keep up the competition that we were we were all hoping that they'd put up in the AL East or well, what are kind of your thoughts as we move into the season and the Jays are, are kind of limping in here? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're limping, but there aren't really, there's only one significant injury, right? And that's mm -hmm. Kirby Yates, and he's going to be out for the year, and he's probably going to have Tommy John surgery, and it sucks. And it's but, not a back injury. It's, it's Right, no, they told us <laughs> right up front that it's his elbow. But, I, I mean, he was sort of a gamble anyway, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Four and two thirds innings last year. I don't think they were really counting on him. Uh, I think they thought, okay, let's you know originally throw eight and a half million dollars at this guy and see what he gives us. And then they saw the MRI and they said, uh, let's make it five and a half. And and as it turned out, you know they were right. The Braves were right for walking away from him or also trying to drastically reduce the the guarantee. Uh, and it didn't work, but um, but it's a great gamble and it's the kind of gamble that teams that have money should be making. I'm happy to waste five and a half million dollars for a chance at a guy who was the best closer in baseball two years ago. So without him, you've got Jordan Romano, who really looked incredible last year before he got hurt. Rafael Dolis, David Phelps, who had the one of the weirdest years ever for anybody ever last year. He had an ERA of six with a whip of 1.1. Yeah, uh, yeah, that whole Philly bullpen was cursed last year, and he was a big... Uh, part towards the end uh tyler chatwood can throw strikes now and you know they're they're turning him into this short reliever and not worry about starting or anything like that i think the back of the bullpen is is going to be really good and, and tim Meza has emerged after tommy john surgery at the end of 19 and he is he's been uh, incredible this spring so i think they're fine uh, you know, obviously you're going to be better with a healthy Yates and that can push everybody back because the starting rotation is full of question marks too. Um, 
But Yates is the, really the only big thing. George Springer has the oblique. They believe he'll probably, I mean, if he misses any time, less than a week of the regular season. Uh, Robbie Ray might not miss a start with the bruised elbow. So and Kevin Biggio had a, a pinky finger problem, but the x-rays were negative. So he'll be able to answer the bell, you would think. So all these injuries, while it, it I mean, they had all got thrown at us at once. Boom, boom, it boom, boom. Really made it feel horrible. It, it, it's not that bad. I mean, chances are George Springer is still going to play 145 games for them, right? And uh, um, and Robbie Ray is probably still going to make 30 starts. Question is, will he be able to throw strikes to the extent that that he has? But really, it's it's just Yates, and that's overcomable. I I still think they're in very good shape. Okay. Well. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today and answering questions. I guess my last question for you is, uh, are you working on any new projects that you'd like to share with our audience, especially any Blue Jays fans out there listening? Yeah, absolutely. I have a podcast now. I am like you. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I've gone from radio broadcaster to podcaster. A lot of people, you know, there, there was a big outpouring when I got fired in November, you know, we, we still want to hear your voice. And, and one of the reasons the star uh, and I got together was because they want to expand their podcastageness. And so I am starting a podcast. It's called deep left field. You can find it wherever better podcasts are sold or however <laughs> you say it. And there, there's a sneak preview episode. There's a 40 second teaser and like a, a 35 minute sneak preview episode that's up now deep left field and you can go to at LF podcast on Twitter uh, to engage with the podcast there. You can follow me on Twitter at Wilnerness. but yeah, I'm very excited about uh, being able to do pseudo radio again. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, I sure am enjoying it so far here. I'm sure you will too. And the best part is that if you've got a guest that keeps talking, you don't need to cut them off while they're talking. You can just cut it out of the podcast. So that's, that's my favorite part. That's not bad. Mike, thanks so much for, for joining us today again. And we wish you all the best up north of the border covering a hopefully less pandemic ravaged season. And uh, we look forward to seeing all that you have to say in the Toronto Star and uh, on Deep Left Field. So thank you. North of the border, but south of you. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> It's uh, Andrew back with another trivia segment to be named later. Uh, I've got three contestants on with me today. I've got Martin, who you uh, might recognize from several other episodes of the podcast. Uh, I've also got Jeremy and Jordan, who you might recognize from our free agent trivia that we did a few weeks ago. Uh, as, as, as of this recording, it is April the 2nd, the day after opening day. So we've got an opening day themed trivia game for you guys. Uh, but before we get started with that, I'm going to introduce our three contestants. If you could just uh, give me your names and a little, uh, I don't know, any, any, anything about yourself you might want to say, um, please do that. I will start off with Jeremy. Hey, uh, I'm Jeremy Kahneman. I run a little trivia company uh, formerly in Chicago. I've recently relocated to Georgia, where I had purchased uh, A-list uh, partial season tickets for the Braves so I could go to the All-Star game this year. But <laughs> That's not happening now. And I got to tell you, as upset as I am and disappointed about that as I am, I, uh, I want to say, uh, hear ye, hear ye to Major League Baseball. 
for making the right move. And while it'll suck for me not to go, um, you know, screw you, Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So on to uh, Jordan now. Hello. Uh, My second time on the podcast. Um, I'm a Brewers fan. Um, Let's bring the all-star game to Milwaukee um, as they've already called for it. They want the, the mayor of Milwaukee wants to um, have it here. Um, uh, nice wild win for our brew crew yesterday. There you go. Yeah, I know they were talking about uh, they want to honor Hank Aaron in Atlanta, so you might as well just do it in yeah. Milwaukee. And play. The, yeah. the interesting thing is, though, I think the Milwaukee or Wisconsin has passed some voting measure. You know, they have a – I don't know. It'll be interesting to see where they go and what their justification is for it. I'd love it to be Milwaukee, though. I'd love to come yeah. up there for it. Just send it to Toronto. Oh, yeah. Just at least let Toronto yeah. have one major league baseball game this year. <laughs> <laughs> and they haven't hosted in thirty some years, so uh, I've already got I've already got tickets to go down to Dunedin last weekend in April to see the Braves and Blue Jays play in Florida. Oh, very nice. So yeah. And now, now we got Martin. I am Martin. As you've heard me on the podcast a few times before, I am still waiting for my team to play a game. <laughs> But good things come to those who wait, or so I'm told. Uh, so. That's not true when you're a Mets fan. <laughs> I don't know. We Lindor. were waiting until, like, literally the 11th hour for that Lindor contract. So <laughs> There you go. Now they just got to extend Conforto. Certainly hope so. Yeah. I'm sure Uncle Steve can afford it. <laughs> All right. So I've got, like, as I mentioned, I've got an opening day uh, game opening day themed game for you guys. I just got 10 questions. I'll ask a question. You'll lock in with an answer. Uh, once everyone's locked in, we'll discuss answers. Pretty straightforward. Uh, you guys ready to go? Yep. Yep. I'll do it. All right. So question number one, who was the opening day starting pitcher for the Pittsburgh pirates in 2021? Locked in. All right. Jordan's locked in. Locked in. And so is Martin. So Jeremy, if you want to talk it out, go for it. Uh, yeah, I should know this. Uh, who was it that got, uh, I mean, he beat the Cubs. It was, uh, I, I looked at the box score. I'm trying to remember. Was it Howard? He got the win. I can't remember. I'm going to say Howard. I can't remember if he started or not. All right, Jeremy going with Howard. Uh, Jordan, what do you got? Chad Cool. Jordan going with Chad Cool and Martin. Chad Cool. Yep, Damn the, it. The, the broest pitcher in Major League Baseball. It was Chad <laughs> Cool. Yeah, I was I was just like randomly racking my brain yesterday. Like, oh, I wonder if I could just name all, all 30 Major League uh, starters for the, uh, or I guess at, at yesterday it was 26. Like, oh, yeah. I wonder if I can just, in my head, just name the 26 pitchers that start opening day. I got through 25. I'm like, who the hell plays for the Pirates? <laughs> a single starting pitcher. But yeah, Chad Cool was their opening day starter. Uh, I yeah, just I, remember I, I, looking I at the box and seeing the winner. I believe some yeah. guy named Howard won the game. Yeah. Sam Howard. He was the one who started. Sam Howard, there you go. All right, I'm in the hole early. Nice. Right, yeah. Question number two. Who was the first player to hit three home runs in a game on opening day when he did so for the 1988 Blue Jays? I see Jeremy locked in. So I'm going to assume he's locked in, which he is. I'm going to go with the guess. All right. And Jordan's locked in. So Martin, talk it out. 88 Blue Jays is too far, is like just out of my circle of awareness. 
Like I know the nineties, the early nineties teams. I don't know that late nineties team, late eighties. I got nothing. All right. So uh, Martin's tapping out. Jeremy, what do you got? Uh, it's funny. Cause when you messaged me about this and you said, it's going to have an opening day tinge. My first thing that I said to you and you said, well, let's cross that question off. I don't know if you were kidding or not. <laughs> was Carl Tuffy Rhodes who, was the second man to do it, did it for the Cubs, and hit three of his 13 Major League home runs on opening day. Uh, the first guy to do it uh, also ended up playing for the Cubs at some point in his career was George Bell for the Toronto Blue Jays against and the Royals. Um, yeah, I, the, the first thing that came to my mind was Fred McGriff, but uh, I'm going to go with George Bell as well. Yeah, George Bell was the, uh, was the answer. Yeah, Fresh off his MVP win. That's right. I, th- I thought I could yeah. sneak that by uh, telling you there wasn't going to be a Tuffy Roads question and then kind of <laughs> go with a different I can, player. I can tell you the other two guys who had three home runs on opening day Matt as well. Matt Davidson did it a couple years ago yep. and Dimitri Young. Dimitri Young is the other one. Yeah. All right. So moving on to question three. What pitcher who is consistently locked in on opening day holds the record for most opening day wins without a loss with seven? Ooh. Locked in. Jordan is locked in. Locked in. And so is Martin. So, Jeremy, talk it out. Uh, all right. So, this is – and you didn't give a lot of information to go on here. Uh, so, I know I'm, – I'm, I'm afraid to say a few things because I know that Tom Seaver has the record for most opening day starts, but I don't think – I mean, he's he's got I, – I, he can't be 7-0. and Other guys that would have a lot of starts, Randy Johnson, Mark Burley – I mean, Jack Morris was always the opening starter for the Tigers. Roy Oswalt and Roy Halladay. I'm going to go with Roy Halladay. All right, Jeremy going with Roy Halladay and Martin. I think I thought of this because of a, a word a word you used in the t- in the uh, question. You said locked in. I think that was a word play, Jimmy Key. And Jordan. Oh, oh. that is yeah. smart. <laughs> yeah. Um. I must have just heard that somewhere and now that you now that you now that you say it i think i've heard that stat before and i think you are right yeah we're gonna go with jimmy key yeah jeremy there was a little more information in that question than uh than you thought the answer is jimmy key that is uh that is a that's a well-written that's a well-written question and martin good job figuring it out and i can't believe of all the pitchers i could have chose i chose a blue jays pitcher yeah and not jimmy key all right question number four what team, aside from a hand, a small handful of rare circumstances, opens the season every year at home? Locked in. Uh, locked in. And Martin and Jeremy are locked in, so Jordan, talk it out. Well, the team that always used to start um, the season, usually the day before or at like 11.30 in the morning central time, was the Cincinnati Reds. So I'm going to assume it's the Reds, and I'm going to lock in with that answer. All right, Jordan, going with the Reds and Martin. Reds. And Jeremy. Yeah, they used to start the year. It's a holiday in Cincinnati still. I think you get off school, they have a parade. Uh, My aunt grew up in Cincinnati, big Reds fan. And it was in about the early 90s when Cincinnati stopped being the first game of the season every single year. But I locked in with the Reds as well. Yep, it's the Reds. Uh, Aside from a couple random seasons in the 1800s, um, in 1966, they didn't because it got rained out. 
1990 when there was the the, the brief lockout. Um, those the and then and in 1888 for whatever reason they weren't scheduled to start at home. Uh, but yeah, it is the Reds. Question number five: Who is the first U.S. president to throw out the ceremonial first pitch on opening day? Locked in. Jordan is locked in. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to lock in. And so is Jeremy. So, Martin, talk it out if you'd like. I'm going to guess on this, but I'm going to say Eisenhower. All right, Martin, going with Eisenhower and Jeremy. So, I know the first president to throw out a first pitch was William Howard Taft. And I'm going to assume he probably did it on opening day. So, I'm going to say Taft. And Jordan? It's Taft. It is Taft in uh, 1910 in obviously Washington. So I was off by like 50 years. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, now the first president to throw out or the first, the first man to serve as president who had thrown out a first pitch, I believe is William McKinley who did so when he was governor of Ohio before he became president, in like the 18 in like 1890 something or, you know. All right. Question number six in innings. What is the longest game in opening day history played between the Indians and Blue Jays in 2012? Locked in. Jordan is locked in. 2012, he said? 2012, Indians, Blue Jays. All right. I'll say locked in. And I'm guessing, but locking in. Okay. So, Martin, what do you have for a guess? I'm going to say 16. And Jeremy? I also went with Sweet 16. And Jordan? It's Sweet 16. It, it is Sweet 16. I mean, I just, you know, yeah, it had to be high enough that it's the only one to go that far. So I figured 14 didn't seem high enough. It was like, do you go 15, 16, or higher? All right, question number seven. So this one, I've got three possible answers. Uh, each question has been worth 10 points so far. This one will be worth a total of 15 if you get all three guys. Three pitchers have each started four opening days for the Padres for five points apiece. Name them. I think I'm locked in with three. All right, Jordan is locked in with his with his three answers. All right, then I'm locked in. Martin, okay. you can talk if you All want. All right, so Martin, talk it out if you'd like. I I can figure one of them pretty easily, I think. That would be PV. And then I'm going to guess it's just one of the guys from their late 90s playoff team. It was, I'm going to guess, Andy Ashby. And then they had a, they had a guy who actually won a Cy Young. I'm committed, Randy Jones. All right, so you're going with Randy Jones, go with Randy Jones, Andy Ashby, and Jake Beavy? Yes. Okay. And Jeremy, what do you got? Uh, it's funny. He's like, Jake Peavy, easy. That was the one that took me the longest time to think of. Uh, Randy Jones uh, in the 70s. Uh, definitely, that was the first one. I was like, all right, it's definitely him. Uh, in the 80s, when I was a kid, Eric Shaw was, or Show Shaw, whatever, he was their big starting pitcher. I assumed he had to start at least four opening days. And then I was trying to think of a third. And I was like, well, Kevin Brown, Andy Ashby, Andy Bennis. And then I was like, well, PV won a Cy Young. He probably got at least four opening day starts. I went with PV. That's the one I'm least confident in. So you're going with Randy Jones, Eric Shaw, and Jake PV? Yeah. Okay. And Jordan. Okay. I've got Jake PV and Randy Jones as definite answers. One of the others that may have started for is Craig Lefferts, but I'm not sure because he was, he kind of floated between the rotation and um, bullpen for most of his career in San Diego. 
Um, Andy Bennis is a good answer. Andy Ashby is a good answer. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with uh, Andy Bennis for my third. So you're going with Andy Bennis, Jake Peavy, and who was your third? Randy Jones. Randy Jones. Okay. So Jeremy getting 15 points on that one. Martin and uh, Jordan will be getting 10. Pays to be old. Yep. Randy Jones, their, their Cy Young Award winner. Uh, Eric Shaw, perhaps best known for giving up Heat Rose's uh, record-breaking hit. And Jake Peavy. Moving on to question eight. Who is the only pitcher since 1953 to throw a shutout and hit a home run on opening day? Locked in. Martin is locked in. I know it's one of two guys. I can't remember which one it is. I have a feeling I know which two you're thinking of. <laughs> All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lock in. All right. So Jeremy and Martin are locked in. So Jordan, talk it out. A shutout and a home run. A true win if you're a... If you're if you're a fan of the Effectively Wild podcast, that's what they call that. If, if you hit more home runs than you give up runs and you throw a complete game, they call that a, a, a true win. The truest win would be Rick Wise. That's true. Yeah, with his no, <laughs> you can't get more truer than that. <laughs> no hitter and two homers. I'm gonna go with Kershaw. All right, Jordan going with Kershaw and Jeremy. So I went with Kershaw as well. Um, the guy I was debating was Madison Bumgarner because. I, 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 I couldn't remember if he had a. Sh- I couldn't remember. If- yeah, he didn't throw a shutout. He, he hit two homers. I couldn't remember if he threw a shutout. He had two homers. He had two homers, right? Yeah, okay. So I went with Kershaw because I think I remember him. I think he did it maybe against the Giants too. And then you say so you're going with Kershaw? Kershaw, yeah. Okay, and Martin? Kershaw. Yep, it's Kershaw. He hit the home run in the bottom of the eighth inning, which is my favorite part. Tie breaking home run in the eighth inning was that was it a one nothing game it was scoreless at the time and well did it did it end up being a one nothing game i think it ended like two or three nothing all right question number nine opening day 2021 marks the first game ever played in a stadium with what name oh locked in oh locked in in. martin i know i know you know this one (laughs) we we, we've memed about it extensively so That took that took me a minute. So Jeremy, talk it out if you'd like. So I'm trying to think like the Brewers renamed Miller Park to American Family Field. And I can't remember if that was actually the like what the name was last year, it, or if that new name took place at the end of last year, like effective for this year. But I know it's not the Rangers, which is tricky because they had a new stadium, but it kept the same name as the old park which I've actually been to a game at that stadium because I went to game seven of the NLCS last year. So uh, I'm going to go with American Family Field, formerly Miller Park, I guess. All right, and Martin? I'm going to go with the new Marlins uh, name, Lone Depot Park. And Jordan? Lowercase L, capital D, lowercase P, Lone Depot Park. Yeah, so the answer so that I much. had was uh, was I own slash Lone Depot Park. Let me check because I th- I thought American Family Field became American Family Field last year, January first of this year. Yeah, all right, so two two answers, correct answers on this one. We've got uh, Lone Depot Park and American Family Field. In so it's funny. I knew about the Marlins name. I didn't know it actually took effect already. I thought that was like an announcement. Uh... Yeah, they they apparently they got on that immediately. Like they don't have a sign up or anything, obviously. But the it is it is it is called Lone Depot uh, Lone Depot Park. It is terrible. I love it. <laughs> now we have a worse name than the G Spot. 
we still don't. It's still the worst. <laughs> Guaranteed rate with a down arrow. I mean, come on. Like, you know, like what? All right, question number 10. And this one, I'm looking for two correct answers worth five points apiece. What two pitchers hold the record for most opening day starts with their respective franchises with 14 each? So to get each set of five points, you need the pitcher and the team. So again, two mm. pitchers. That I, have one, I have one for sure. Two pitchers that hold the record for most opening day starts with their respective franchises with 14 each. Uh, locked in. Jordan is locked in. So for the same franchise, basically? Yeah, yeah. The, the two pitchers to start the most opening days with one team. I'm waiting for him to lock in because I'm going to need to yeah. chat a whole I, bunch of Actually, this. I'm going to unlock myself with my Jimmy key. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're going to unlock yourself? I could even go even deeper on that joke. I'm going to unlock my Jeff lock with Jimmy key. Oh, oh no. I love it. <laughs> he might have started an opening day for the Pirates. He may have. I'm not sure, though. Um, 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 I'm jotting down notes here because I can't talk out loud. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I feel like I've got one for sure and the other one not for sure. I think I'll, I think I'll take a stab at it. I'll lock in. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go yeah, ahead. I'm going to lock in. All right, so all three are locked in. Uh, Martin, what do you have for an answer? What do you have for answers? The one I'm sure of is Warren Spawn. And then I'm, this is more of a guess, but Walter Johnson. All right, so going with Spawn and Johnson and Jordan. I have Steve Carlton okay, and well, Bob actually, Gibson. So, 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 so Martin, I got, uh, which, which teams? I'm sorry. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, Warren Spawn with the Braves okay. and Walter Johnson with the, uh, I guess, Senators. Okay. at the time all right and then jordan steve carlton phillies mm -hmm. bob gibson cardinals okay and jeremy i can tell you bob gibson has 10 opening day starts for the cardinals and that is the most of anybody so it's not bob gibson uh jack morris i'm pretty sure has 10 or 11 for the tigers i'm pretty sure tom Seaver has i think he has 17 opening day starts but I don't think he has 14 for the Mets. I think he only has like 11 or 12 for the Mets. Cause he's got a couple uh, for the Reds too. Yeah. And the, the white Sox, I think he might've had one with and yeah. So, um, but he has the most opening day starts in total. Uh, I said Steve Carlton for the Phillies. That was the one I locked in with right away. And then I think Phil Necro has the most for the Braves, not spawn, but, but I'm not, I'm not sure um, either way. I don't think either one's at 14. I also had to go all the way back, and I thought the only guy I could think of that might even be possible is Walter Johnson with the Washington Senators. So I went with Johnson and the Senators and Carlton and the Phillies. Okay, so the answers, it is Walter Johnson with the, uh, the then-Washington Senators and Steve Carlton with the Phillies. Gotcha. Well done, Jeremy. Yeah, War Warren Spahn had 10. Uh, Johnny Sane took a couple of his away. Tom Seaver had 11 for the Mets. Uh, Mark Burley had nine for the White Sox. Yeah, Felix Hernandez probably had like nine for the Mariners, I think. Kershaw's, Kershaw's probably at nine or ten now. Yeah, I think, today, I think uh, yesterday was his nine. Okay. Charlie Huff is the all-time Rangers leader with, uh, with six. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. I don't one. think I would have pulled Huff. <laughs> no. All right, Although so, I don't know who I would have guessed, so maybe I would have. I, you know, yeah, the Rangers, maybe Rick Helling. I don't know. The Rangers don't really have like a guy that's been 
like their staff ace like like you can't you yeah you can't really think of like a pitcher for the rangers that like you automatically when you think of rangers pitchers you think of this one guy because they they've always just kind of been cycling through uh pitching for pretty much their entire existence nolan yeah nolan ryan's the only like iconic rangers ish pitcher he was only there for like what four or five years at the end of his career yeah, at the end of his... Yeah. All right, so at the end of the game, the final scores, we've got Jeremy with 85 points. We've got Martin with 75 points. And your winner this evening is Jordan with 100. Well nice. done, Jordan. Well done. Nice. Thank you. So, yeah, Stupid for, uh, pirates pitchers. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Chad, cool. Well, thanks for listening to episode 16 of Our Baseball Weekly. If you'd like to contact us, feel free to comment in the Reddit thread or email us at rbaseballweekly at gmail.com. Next week, we'll have an interview with Alex Bonilla from the baseball reference team, as well as some hype for the upcoming Padres-Dodgers series and a roundup of the last week of baseball action and news. Our Baseball Weekly is executive produced and had segments one and two edited by me, Lewis. Our production administrator is Christine. Andy wrote, hosted, and edited opening day trivia. Martin joined me for the intro as well as participated in trivia, where he was joined by Jordan and Jeremy, who we thank for joining us. Special thanks to Mike Wilner for taking the time to sit down with us for an interview. Our theme music was composed by Chuck Lease. Our Baseball Weekly releases every Monday morning at 1 a.m. Eastern. We'll see you next week.